Can we just pray? Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, Lord, we just come before you. And God, we ask that you be glorified this morning, that you be honored, that when we leave this morning, God, we left it all out. We gave it all to you in worship and honor and glory. Holy Spirit, I ask that whatever you want to say here this morning, whatever you want to instill in us, may it seek, seep into our hearts and begin to grow and change us, Lord. May we leave here this morning, even just slightly, but may we leave here this morning having been changed, Jesus. Holy Spirit, anything that I say that's not of you, may it fall away. But the things you want to still, may they burn in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. all over the shop. I've got all kinds of things going on in my brain. It's because I've got my shoes on. Just let me take my shoes off and I'll be able to think a little bit clearer. Whew. You know, it's, it's amazing that we, we do a Sunday morning over and over and over again and there's been some incredible conversations between a few of us and guys where we're getting ready to, to, to bring on in a form of leadership, and and the conversation always comes back to how do we how do we do what we're doing? How do we continue to not just do the same old, same old, not just repeat the same cycle, but actually step into what God has for us? And every time I ask the question, every time I I position myself to say, God, what do we do on a Sunday morning? What is it supposed to look like? I come back to the same answer every time: just honor Him, just glorify Him. If we do that in a building, do it in a building. If we do that with fancy suits on, do it with fancy suits on. If we do it with lights and big guitars, do it with lights and big guitars. It really doesn't matter. What matters is the heart of the people connecting with the heart of the Father. And the more and more I think about it, the more and more I come back to this thing of, Lord, as a people, please, can we just honor you? I drive in on a Sunday morning saying, God, please let us honor you this morning. Let us glorify your name. And I leave going, God, I hope we honored you this morning. I hope we glorified your name. I hope that we empowered people to see you bigger and to know you more. As I was praying about the, the, during the week about what to bring, I had, I had nothing, zilch, zero, until I was in a, a conversation with a friend and he changed my paradigm on something that I want to share with you this morning. And when I walked in this morning, Coco was singing this, so this song, Let Your Throne Be Established. And it was right where God had led me to preach this morning. It was right in this thing of enthroning God in our hearts, enthroning God in our lives. One of my favorite verses in all scripture is Revelation 4 and 5. I've preached it so many times. I stayed on it for months to the point where Kat's not here, so I can make a joke about her. Where Kat would say, Kat said to me once, you know, I always love on a Sunday, I get to hear a little snippet of Revelations 4 or 5, because there's something in it 
she was joking at me that I always stay on that verse because I don't think we quite grasp, I don't quite grasp the beauty of, of John seeing a vision of the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, of Yahweh God. That this throne room, and I'm not going to read it, but you can go and read it. I, 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 it will change your life to stay on it. Before you go into a time of worship or prayer, read Revelations 4 or 5. The power and majesty of seeing the throne room of God changes the picture of us, changes what it is we're here to do. That it makes this not just a small community church on the Gold Coast, Australia, but makes this larger picture that we are pressing back against something so much bigger. That we are fighting, that we are, we are uh, uh, penetrating the, the enemy in such a way that it's bigger than our small little church here on the Gold Coast in Australia. That when I read that verse, I can't help but think, Lord, we get to partake in your throne room every time we enter worship. The fact that you and I get a mention in that blows my mind. That right here, we can affect what's taking place in the heavenlies. Is mind-boggling. I was chatting with a good friend of mine, Solomon, during the week. And he's such an incredible man. He speaks with just this peace and we were chatting about something completely different and I mentioned Revelation 4 and I said I, I, how much I, I, I'm blown away and, and how I can't quite understand what it is that's taking place and he says to me in this soft calm voice he said Ben do you know that the father the one on the throne never speaks in Revelation 4 or 5 and almost dumbfounded, I flipped back and I looked back, read back through it while he was talking to me. He completely lost me because I was now, I was, had him on one screen and I had the verse on the other screen. And I'm like, no, nah, sure he speaks. And I came to the place that the Father doesn't say anything. There's this glorious picture of myriads, of myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels with their eyes on the throne room saying, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty? And the Father sits and he receives the worship and he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak. We don't see him speak until Revelation 21. There is some contention about an, a couple of other places where there's some arguments as to whether or not he speaks. But this is one of the few times that he speaks right here in Revelation 21. And I started thinking, wow, how important is this? This is the creator of the universe, the father, the one who sits on the throne. And he says this in Revelation 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
So the Father decides to stand or sit in this place and receive all this worship. And he doesn't decide to say anything until he realizes, okay, let me speak to all creation. Let me tell them how we move forward in the place that we're in. And I love the fact that he starts with, behold, I am making all things new. See, because at this point, the, lion, the, the lamb had already been slain and the lion had come, the tri- lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus in all his glory. And he says, I am making all things new. The mess of the past that you as people have seen, I am making all things new. The first words that come out of the Father's mouth are the mess that you're in, I am making all things new. You know, when we look around the world at the moment, I mean, there's not normally good news on the news channels, but there's definitely not good news at the moment. I mean, South Africa, Cuba, nations are in absolute mess. Nations looking to say, how do we get out of this? Lockdown after lockdown, people revolting, walking in the streets. Sydney, Victoria, I mean, even in our nation, we are seeing a a small glimpse of this. But the reality is, is that the world is in a mess. And there's some times where you get to the place where you go, Lord, what are you doing? He says, behold, I'm making all things new. Trust me. Trust me. Sometimes when we stare at all the things that are going wrong, we fail to understand that when we establish the throne of Christ, His glory and His power flows through. See, when we take the position that, God, I'm going to establish your throne in my life, in my heart, you're going to rule and reign, I get to stand on this promise. Yeah, Ben, but everything's falling apart. Yeah, but my Father says, behold, I'm going to make all things new. So when we stand in a place of pain and suffering, when we stand in a place where there is no way out, we remember the promise. Behold, I will make all things new. This makes sense when you read Psalms 118.24. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes you think, Lord, You want me to rejoice in this? This is the day you made today? When you're standing in your turmoil, when you're standing in your pain and suffering, it's hard to understand that this is the day that the Lord has made. But it's the promise that David writes. It's the promise that God had given him again and again and again that I am who I said I am. I am Yahweh. I am creator of the universe. And behold, I have made all things new. That we rejoice in. That's the rejoice that we come with. And you know, we all have that time. We all have that day. We all have that week where we get to the end of it and we think, goodness gracious Lord, This cannot be the week that you made. This cannot be the day that you've given me. But it's not that that we rejoice in. It's the promise that he made to us that I am making all things new. When we stand in that place, 
it is easy to rejoice. It is easy to open our hands in the midst of pain and suffering and turmoil because it doesn't matter why. Because I know who my daddy is. I know who my father is and I know what he promised me. And to the world, that makes no sense. How can you be happy all the time? How can you be full of joy? Because he said, I'm making all things new. He goes on to say, and he said to me, I'm making all things new, is chapter five. He goes on in chapter six and it says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So he starts with, behold, I'm making all things new. It's a process, I'm gonna do it. And then he says directly after, it is done. How can he say that? He, he backs it up by saying, because I rigged the game. I'm the beginning and the end. Everything that happens operates inside of me so I can make things all new at the same time. I can say it's finished. I've seen your future from your past and I know where you stand. I've seen it all. Why? Because I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. I know where you're going if you will trust me and walk there. I wanted to get onto it a little bit later, but it'll make sense is that we wrestle with this thing, are we, are we predestination or not predestination? But when you understand the reality of predestination, you can see that we are both full of free choice, but predestined to go somewhere. I once heard um, David Pawson, incredible guy, passed away in 2020, I think, just recently or last year. But he, he explains this in the most, he's a phenomenal guy to watch. He's boring if you don't find that in, exciting, but he's an amazing teacher. But he explains something that I thought was so simple. He explains a farmer, and I've explained it before, but, but I'll, I'll reveal it again because it's helpful in this. He explains a farmer that when a farmer has children, he has another son, he prepares the land with the, with the idea that the son will take over the land. Okay, everything that's in him is preparing the son. He's teaching him how to work the land. He's teaching him how to explain. He's predestining that the son will take the land. But the son never loses the choice. When the son grows up, he starts to see um, his other friends going to uni, leaving the small country town and going to a bigger city. And he gets the choice, do I take my father's farm over or do I go and pave my own way? See, the son was predestined to take the farm, but he never loses the choice to go either way. That's the same place God leads us to. He has predestined every single one of you. How do we know that? Because he knew you before you were in your mother's womb and he's written a book of life we see in Psalms and other places. He knows your future, but he will not force you to walk it. So what happens is God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I saw you before you were created and I know where you're going, but you have to step where I've asked you to step. See, we're predestined, our future is predestined, but our choice is that we get to decide to walk in His ways or walk in our own ways. And when we walk in where He wants us to walk, we step out the most incredible place we could ever walk because He is the beginning and the end. He knows the path we should walk. So when we learn how to trust Him, when we learn how to understand where it is He's taking us, we learn that it is finished. He is the beginning and the end. Does that make sense? 
When God calls us in his glory, he calls us as the Alpha and the Omega. He calls us the beginning and the end. You have been given a life and he's asking you to step in it. It is finished. He continues on and he challenges us. He says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And I started thinking, this is fantastic. God is saying he will give us the water of the life, but he prefaces it by saying to those who are thirsty. The father is saying, I have all that you need. I have the water of life for you. But if you're not thirsty, you cannot take from it. He's calling us as a people in this moment through John to prepare ourselves to thirst for the kingdom. I've said it again and again. And when, when, when I read this, I, mean, I, I said to God, this is more of the challenge. But I feel that this is where the church is at the moment. We're not supposed to be dragging ourselves through those doors. We're supposed to be running through with eager anticipation. We're not supposed to be dragging ourselves to the scriptures or dragging ourselves to a time to worship with Him. We're supposed to be running with eager anticipation to meet with the Father because it's there we find water. A friend a few months ago prophesied over this house and he prophesied over me that this would be a well of deep water. And instantly I got a bit excited. I was like, yes, Lord, that's fantastic. And as I pondered on it a bit more and I, I stewed on it a bit more, I started realizing, oh, Lord, it takes hard work to dig a well. There's tons of dirt before you get to water. There is blistered hands. There is filthy shovels. There is people laughing at you, telling you that there is no water there. But the moment you hit that last shovel and you crack through on water, all those people who laughed at you, all those people who told you you were crazy, they come running back and asking, can I dip into your well? See, God gives us roles and responsibilities to step into because he's asking us to thirst for him. He's saying, I have the water for you. It's here. Where? Right there. Lord, where is it again? So it's right there. There's no water. Yeah, because you've got to dig for it. Oh, really? You're not gonna, we're not going to drill down in there? You're not going to have it all ready for me? No, no, no. Why? Because the digging will give you character in order to carry the water that's at the bottom. See, the reason I believe God won't just pour out on the church is because it'll hurt us because we're not ready to receive what he has because we haven't dug anything. So my call that's been for so long to the church is pick up your plowshare, get into the dirt. I want to change that. Pick up your shovel and start digging, whatever that looks like for you. If we know that it is finished, we know that God is who He says He is, the Alpha and the Omega, He knows our beginning from our end, then we start to question, all right, Lord, then what's the purpose of me? He says, because I need you to dig and bring water to those who don't know where it is. If you'll listen, I'll position you to dig. But we have to dig. We have to start to dig. Why? The Father continues on in chapter 7 because He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers will have this heritage. As Christians, we need to be conquerors in Christ 
because it's in our conquering we receive our heritage. Another word for heritage is birthright. See, God has given all of us a birthright in our scroll, in what he's written for us to do. But in order to receive that, we have to walk out our birthright. And in walking out our birthright, in walking out what God is asking us and who he's preparing us to be, we become conquerors in him and then we receive our inheritance. We receive our birthright when we enter in to the throne room. So that got me questioning God, then do I have to be a conqueror? No, you don't. But there will be no birthright. There will be no heritage. See, when we start to ask God where it is He's taking us, where it is we're going, we're operating in this earth, but there is an eternal reward. There is something that He is preparing for us, that He's building up in us. So we operate on this side of eternity. Why? Because He's worthy and He's glorious. But on the other side of that, He will repay you in your conquering with a birthright that He's promised from the very beginning. So it comes back time and time and time again to, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? My son, my daughter, I want you to hear my voice and do as I ask you to do. We were in a conversation during the week on Thursday night about what it looks like and, and, and what these birthrights look like. We're going through different giftings and, and how the giftings operate on Thursday nights. And one of the incredible things that came forth is that we don't know what a strong, powerful Christian looks like in, in the fullness of it. We can have a, a small glimpse, there's fruit and those sorts of things, but we don't understand what happens in the little places. When you buy that person lunch or you get that person a coffee or you, you ring that person who's not heard from anybody, all those little things are just listening to the voice of God and He increases our inheritance. And again, that's not why we do it, because that's a, a, a broken understanding. But that's what happens when we start to be obedient with Him. When we start to enthrone Him and He flows in us and through us and out into where we're going. But it was really interesting listening to, to different ideas of who was a strong Christian. And you know, we, I was challenged with that verse where it says that, that the, the, the teachers will be more harshly... Um, Judged, thank you. And I said, it's interesting that verse, right? Because it doesn't say they'll get a bigger reward. Does they have a bigger judgment? So in actual fact, this place is more difficult to be in because it's not like you get a bigger reward for preaching in front of hundreds of thousands. You get a bigger reward for hearing the voice of God and doing exactly as He asks you to do. So I said, exactly right. That's why I would never ever say to anyone, be in this place unless you're called, because it's easier to be back there. You can have the same opportunity at the same reward, you just don't get judged. Sign me up, Lord. When we start to understand that this was the Father, this was the one sitting on the seat, this is the one they were worshipping. It's like if, you, if you've ever been in a conversation where there's one person that you want to speak, you know he's a clever guy and he, you're listening to everyone else speak and you're just thinking, man, when is this guy going to say something? And you, you're waiting and then you're like, come on, man, are you going to say something? And then at the very last minute, he says, I'll say something and everyone goes quiet. They're like, what's he going to say? He's going to bring the bombs. That was, that was the father right here. 
all this noise, all this commotion would have been amazing to be a part of. But when the, when the Holy One stood to speak, there would have been silence to hear. What is He going to reveal to us? And He reveals the most simple things. It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Behold, I'm making all things new. If you thirst, I'll give you water. If you conquer, I'll give you an inheritance. And then he goes on to number seven, probably to me and where we're at as a church, I think one of the most important things he says in, chapter, in, in verse seven, he says, the one who conquers will have this inheritance. And then he says, and I will be his God and he will be my son. In that place, he speaks from a power of authority, but he speaks in a place of fatherhood. He reveals that us as his people become his sons and daughters. He speaks and he says, those of you who are lost, those of you who were orphans and no longer could be found, I will call home and you will be my sons and you will be my daughters. As I was reading this, I, I started to get emotional and I, I, was, I was sitting at my desk saying, God, we don't know this. We don't understand what it means to be a son. We walk around and we operate as orphans in your house. We operate in pride and lust and jealousy. We operate in this, give me, give me, I need more because we don't know who you've actually made us to be. We don't understand that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we wander around in pain and turmoil because we don't know who you are. And God led me back to this simple verse, Galatians 4, 1 to 7, which we've read so many times. But it says that I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if sons, then an heir through God. God is calling us, Jesus is calling us to operate as sons in his kingdoms, to lay down the orphan mentality, to lay down this, I need to prove myself, I need to be something, I need to be honored, I need to be, I need to be. When a prince walks into a room, you know who he is. He doesn't have to tell you because he knows who he is. When the, when in, in the olden days, when they carried the signet ring, the ring of the father, which we see the prodigal get given back when he comes back to the father, the ring would, was a, a, a symbol to say, I can buy whatever is in my father's house because I am who he tells me I am. When we can learn as a church to stop operating as orphans it doesn't matter who goes to which church or who, what place they stand in or what things they they may have said or done because I'm comfortable in who I am I don't need you to tell me who I am because I know who I am I'm a son and an heir of the most high and see the reason this is so difficult is because for a lot of us we have a broken understanding of a father for a lot of us, we live in a fatherless generation and it's only getting worse. 
Some of these big movements around the world, it, it baffles me that in some of these big movements around the world, one of the things they, they always put in their little about us thing is that they want to wreck the nuclear family, a father and a mother. Why? Because there's beauty and there's, and there's leadership and understanding of having a strong home with a father and a mother. Dads, you need to be dads. I can't tell you how to do it. The guy next to you can't tell you how to do it. Your father can't tell you how to do it. But there is a spirit inside of us that cries, Abba, Father. He shows us how to love and how to guide our kids. It is important that we do it right. It is important that from the church come good dads, strong households with fathers, strong households with mothers. We have to do it right here to example what they need to see out there. But we need to learn as a people how to be sons. Can I have three more minutes? Five more minutes? Can I have five more minutes? Mark said yes. He's given me 10. Mark's given me 10. I heard during the week a story from, from uh, Bill Johnson talking about a, a book that he read from um, a lady named Catherine Coleman. And Catherine Coleman was telling a story. She's a a general in the faith. But Catherine Coleman was telling a story about her dad. And her dad was a a public servant. Um, I think he was a mayor. 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 Mayor Tom Tate. Mayor. He's a mayor. (laughs) Where's Dames? Mayor? Dames. Mayor, thank you. (laughs) Sorry? Burgermeister, take it. And he, he so he was the, the, the head of the city and he was coming out of his office with his assistant one day and there was a drunk man at the, at the steps of his office and as he was coming down, he stood up and the drunk man barged into him and nearly knocked him over and then kept walking. And the assistant says to Catherine Coleman's father, are you going to let him do, do that to you? And he simply responded with this, I can afford it. I can afford it. And what he was meaning by that was, I know who I am. I don't have to, to, to get something from that guy. You need to honor me and respect me. I know who I am. I don't need your honor or your respect because the Father has given me the honor and respect that I deserve and that he's created me to be. See, what happens in the church, what happens in our realm is we wrestle and fight for man's honor, man's respect. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You must honor me like that. When I walk into the room, I want to see people mop the floor. I can't mop the floor. Do you know who I am? I don't need your honor or your respect because I have honor and respect from the Father. I know who I am. When we have a church that starts to operate in the beauty of sonship and daughterhood, when we have a church that starts to go, I'm not fighting for Tim's acceptance in my life. I'm not fighting to be somebody that he would be proud of. I'm fighting to be something that my father would be proud of. I'm fighting to be the inheritance that he's given me to step out and to live out the place that he's positioned me. Because that's what a son does. I get excited when I make my dad proud. But it's my father in heaven that I'm aiming, Lord, I just, I want to do what you want me to do. So I get my inheritance, no, so that I can hear those beautiful words. Well done, my boy. That's Ben's version. The last part, the last thing 
that the man on the throne, the father, reveals. The last thing. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, Lord, left us on an upper there. We get this amazing picture of the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. We get this amazing picture of who we are and how we be a part of who he is. And then we get this terrifyingly frightening picture of what it looks like to be apart from him. I don't have time to go into it, but you have to understand he's not talking about if we say a lie, then we go to that place. He's talking about, to, he's talking about those of, who are worshipping those things and refusing to worship the name of Christ. He's talking about those who are operating in a space and continually worshipping the things of the world as opposed to worshipping Him. He's not saying if you do a lie, you're out. He's saying, establish my throne in your heart and I will lead you into all of this. He's revealing that there is a place that you don't want to be. There is a place that you don't want to go. But it's not from fear of that that we worship the Father. It's out of the glory and honor that we see and we look at Him that we're not even looking at what's taking place over here. Why? Because my eyes are set on the kingdom of God. My eyes are set on the throne room. Do you think the angels are having conversations about what hell looks like? No. Why? Because their eyes are set in the throne room of God. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. See, I'm not afraid to preach about hell. I'm not afraid to reveal. But why would I do that when all of you, I would hope, have positioned yourself to establish his throne in your life. So like Paul, I want to focus on teaching you how to continually establish his throne, how to live out of his kingdom, how to live out of his glory. I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to finish with this. Revelations 22, chapter 6 to 21. If you're taking notes, just write it down. Don't worry about reading it. I want to read it out. But I wonder if we can do something. Can we, Josh, can you just put a pad on for me? Not because I want to do a magical trance thing. I just, I, I want it to, I want it to create a noise that's not kids bouncing around upstairs so that we can focus. Because I want to read the next time in Revelation we hear the words that say, these words are trustworthy and true. And I want it to resonate in you. So if you want to stand, lay down, sit, stay where you're seating, do whatever you need to do to get to a place where you can just close your eyes and imagine what it is that's being read here. And then I'm going to pray and just leave, we're going to leave the pad on. If you want to stay, take some time. If you want to come and sit out the front here, you can. But before I read this, there's coffee and stuff down the back the announcements will be on there or on the app. But I just want us to just take a moment. So just take everything out of your hands. Close your eyes. Get into a place that you're, you can visualize what's being written here.
These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets. And with those who keep the words of this, this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer do, still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city of the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and adulterers and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David the bright and morning star, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty 